Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz, joining you on this, uh, I believe it's the 16th of September, 2023. We are so far into this new year, very fast, very quick that we've been running through this one. Kind of, I think compared to the previous years of COVID and the insanity went with it, 2023 is kind of like, hey, this is just like almost normal. <laughs> so we're moving so much faster uh, when we don't have all that insanity going on around us. But yeah, as I said, it is your host, singular, Chris Honholtz, joining you. My uh, good buddy, Rich, uh, cannot be with us again this week. Folks, I uh, just want to allay any concerns or fears. Rich does contend with health issues, as we've discussed before, and sometimes those health issues can just make life a little bit more difficult for him. And so uh, he's had some stuff that it's not you know, it's not life-threatening, it's not end-of-the-world kind of stuff, but he's he's had to be laid up uh, here and there a little bit. And so all we do is we come before him, we just ask, pray for him, pray for his family, pray that the Lord would give him the rest and the recovery he needs to be back on the program. We we miss him here, believe me. Uh, I, I, I always kind of hate doing these solo, number one, because I don't like this being just about me and my voice and you guys having to hear that. But I, it's so much that Rich brings to this program that without him, it just feels, it really does feel like half a show. And I'm so grateful to have him alongside with me and bringing his valuable input and his biblical knowledge and his his uh, love for the Lord, his affection for evangelism and his desire to see the lost brought to Christ. He brings a balance to this program that is so desperately needed. And uh, there is no voice of reason radio without him so it feels so weird to do this solo but uh, i'm grateful to have the opportunity to still continue to make programs thanks for last week we did try to have something lined up rich was going to try and be there it just did not work out so appreciate your patience when we we do the rerun episodes i try to pull from the older stock if i can so at least it's not something you heard yesterday or the week before uh so hopefully those programs are helpful uh tonight just going to be me. I'm going to go over something that's uh, it, it's a news thing that came up in the in the cycle of things, but I think it has broader application to us. So we'll go into that in a minute. I want to remind you that uh, that this program, Voice of Reason Radio, is part of the Christian podcast community. Uh, that's put together by Andrew Rappaport of Striving for Eternity. He has a multitude of programs of like-minded brethren who have come together for the purposes of helping promote one another, helping uh, build up the quality of one another's programs by contributing knowledge that we gain by doing these programs together and uh, you know, ba- basically giving you, the listener, a one-stop shop place to find solid content. Really always recommend that you go check out that uh, collection of podcasts because you're always going to find something very edifying, very helpful. And very grateful for brethren like uh, Andrew who have a vision for this kind of stuff, who put these kind of things together, and uh, who's really, I think, been a blessing to a lot of people. So, and uh, I would would encourage you, if you can, just keep Andrew in your prayers. The man does do a lot. He stays very busy, and sometimes uh, I think even he doesn't know how tired he gets himself. And so uh, if you would consider praying for him, I'm sure he would greatly appreciate that. And pray for striving for the eternity, striving for eternity as a ministry. Pray for the people that it's able to assist and help with the, you know, uh, going out and sharing teachings that help build up churches, help build up. Uh, it's a, you know areas of evangelism, apologetics, and uh, if you can contribute to that in any way, I think they would be very grateful for that as well. So check out Striving for Eternity and tra- check out the Christian Podcast Community. 
Also want to remind you, we have our website, slavetothekeng.com. Um, when I am disciplined with my time, I try to uh, write and put content on there. Time discipline is not one of my better skills. <laughs> I do freely admit that. So I will continue to try and work on that, which is actually going to be a bit more helpful as I've no, I'm no longer paying for the premium access to uh, Twitter, X, Twixter, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, just the direction they're kind of going and uh, and things like that. I, I'm not really wanting to pay into that. So I will probably be putting more content on there. So I pray that you guys would consider signing up for uh, as a follower of that website. And uh, as I have less visibility on social media, Rich and I put more stuff on the website, hopefully, uh, that will be beneficial to you. It's also where you can find access to our social media uh, pages, where you can reach out to us. Somebody actually emailed us recently and asked a question. I uh, have not had an opportunity. Uh, 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 I think it was Julie that sent it to us, a uh, question about the feasts. I need to talk with Rich about that. I think it would make a good show. So rather than answer it in an email, I'm going to talk to him about that. Maybe we can put a show together on that one. Uh, but that's a way you can reach us with show ideas, questions, comments, or, or concerns, is you can go to slavetothekeng.com and contact us via our contact us link. It, it just sends it fun. We finally figured out how to make it send it right to the email. Um, and so if you have ideas, we want to hear from you. Now, if you do follow us on social media uh, and you have thoughts for the show, please let us know. It's really, and, and if you don't, if you don't follow us on social media, use the contact us link too, please. It's, we want to be helpful to you, and sometimes it's, uh, we're kind of, we feel like sometimes we're shooting in the dark if we don't know what content benefits you more. So we don't want to just put out stuff that only interests us, we want to put out stuff that may be helpful to you. Uh, things that, uh, well, not maybe, will be, let me rephrase that, that will be helpful to you. And uh, we can't do that if we don't hear back from you. Um, also want to encourage you to uh, think about leaving a review on our uh, on the various podcast formats that are out there. Apple Podcasts is a good example of that. Uh, I know there are other ones out there. I don't think Google Podcasts has a review mechanism, so I don't know that you can do it there, but I know other ones do. Um, we actually had a one-star review recently, and you know what? That's fine. You, If you didn't like what we put out and you want to give us a negative review, that's your choice. That's your voice. You get to do that. Um, I would ask, however, if you're going to leave a one-star review, maybe make sure that what you think I'm saying is what I said versus what you are asserting I meant by what I said. So, unfortunately, I think that reviewer did not really hear what I was saying. It had to do with the episode when we talked about Jen Wilkin and the homeschooling versus uh, public schooling. And the whole point of that program was to point out that Miss Wilkin was unbiblically adding a burden to Christians by saying we must homeschool and uh, talking about the fact that home, uh, homeschooling is a viable option and should not be treated in the way that she, that she did. And uh, apparently this person heard me say that uh, public schooling is evil, I th and that I, uh, I'm just going to assert my own opinions about it, and I'm just going to slam uh, Miss Wilkin because I don't like her or something. So, you know what? That's that's fine. You know, let people know what you think. I, that's what it's there for. So, good, bad, or you know, middle of the road. If you want to um, let people know what you think about this program, this is one way you can do it. So, I, I it's unfortunate that the person left the review the way they did. But I appreciate that they took the time to listen, and I appreciate that they left a comment about it. 
By the way, if you are a follower of this program on Podbean through its app, you can actually leave comments for the show. I, I wish we had an ability to make it for the website version because I think some people do it that way. We just don't. It's just how Podbean does it. Um, you can leave a comment on the Slave to the King page if you choose. That is a possibility. And if you are a YouTube listener or a viewer, if you like to throw YouTube on while you're working or, or doing something, we have a YouTube page that can also be found through SlaveToTheKing.com. Or you can just go into YouTube.com and type in Voice of Reason Radio. Make sure you look for the logo with the VOR symbol and the radio waves on either side of it because we didn't do great market research when we named the program over seven and a half years ago and didn't realize there were political or atheist programs by a similar name. So just make sure you find the right one. But we do try to make sure they're uploaded to there. It's not video, so you don't have to see our mugs. It's just the audio with our logo in the background. But yeah, at least that way, we don't scare children if the video, via the, with a video screen. <laughs> we don't want to scare women and children, so it's okay. You just get to hear us talk. So, But that's another option and a way you can leave comments if you wish. So with all that said, I want to thank you for coming in and spending time, even though it's just me. I really wish, wish Rich was here. I wish you guys could hear him more and less of me. But with that said, let's get on to tonight's program. Let me take a, a drink here real quick. Wet my whistle a little bit so I don't try to uh, go dry mouth on you and start hacking and coughing because my throat's getting dry. So that's not good listening. So what are we going to talk about tonight? So I was trying to figure out what to do because Rich and I do have a topic, but I don't like to take topics that we're already discussing doing together and then just make it my own. That doesn't feel fair to him. So I try to figure out what to do. And, you know, sometimes when it's a, things change up at the last second, all right, what am I going to talk about? Well, I actually stumbled across this because it's all over social media right now. Um, and I, I hate to discuss... I'm not going to discuss the details of what happened very much because I don't want to talk about lewd and lascivious behavior. But I think that this particular incident highlights a bigger issue at play that's happening within more conservative-minded Christian um, engagement with the culture. So if you are not aware, which I would be glad for you that you don't know this, and, and hopefully it'll stay unknown for a lot of people, but uh, Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert um, got herself in a bit of hot water again. Now, Lauren Boebert is a kind of a, a bit of a firebrand. She's part of the um, kind of the MAGA crowd, uh, Make America Great Again crowd of the Republicans. If you remember what happened during the um, post- uh, midterm elections and Kevin McCarthy was elected Speaker of the House. There were, it went for days upon days where they could not get the votes necessary to make him Speaker of the House because there was a certain group of Republicans that were holding out because they did not want McCarthy in there or they wanted certain concessions that they wanted the Republicans to make. Lone Barbera was part of that. She's part of that kind of more vocal um, Donald Trump style of Republican. And she got herself in a hot while a while back when she made, I think, a very blasphemous joke at the expense of Jesus Christ. She's a very pro-Second Amendment individual, and she was giving a talk, and she said, she's often asked, well, how many, because she's, you know, professes to be a Christian, well, how many 
AR-15s did Jesus Christ have? And her joke was basically to the effect of, well, clearly not enough to prevent the government from killing him. Crass, terrible, blasphemous, had, she shouldn't have said it, but that's the type of kind of outspoken bodaciousness that she she's being known for. And she gets herself in trouble because of it. And I guess during the midterm election, she just barely won her seat back. So what happened here? Well, apparently Miss Bobear, who was apparently going through a public and messy divorce, was out on a date with someone. Now, that date was not her soon-to-be ex-husband. That date was with another young, uh, gentleman. Uh, and I really don't like using the term gentleman given the circumstances. I think he's far from it. So this would what the, the Bible would call the adultery. She's still married. She's engaging in a romantic relationship with someone other than her husband. That's a sin called adultery. What happens is, apparently these two had gone to, I think, a movie or a show of some kind, and I don't know why an individual, maybe they recognized it was Lauren Bobert and decided they were just going to video her instead of watching the program. But at, during the course of this show, where families are present, Yes, the lights are down. It's dark. You don't see things unless you're using a camera that happens to take video in low light, which this person had. Between herself and this man, there is inappropriate touching. Let's just say that. Inappropriate touching going on. And later, she's my understanding is that she was ejected from the theater. She claimed that she had been ejected for vaping, which she says she did not do, but I guess made a stink, etc. But... It's the behavior in the theater that's concerning. You have a woman who is engaged in an adulterous relationship with someone who is not her husband and acting with lewd and lascivious behavior in a public setting. I don't care that it was dark. In a public setting where families are present. So thankfully it's not as bad as say what the Pride Parades put out or these uh, you know these drag queen family friendly drag queen events you know no such thing as a family friendly drag queen event uh, there's no such thing as friendly fr family friendly drag uh, or trans or any of those things it's all an abomination before the Lord which is something that got me in trouble to say to say this week but that's a topic for another time so why is this problematic well Here's what we got going on. We have an individual who is a member of Congress who has been outspoken against things like these drag queen events, these family-friendly drag queen events, these grooming of children by put, making these sexually immoral acts something that children think is just normal and part of life. That's what we mean by grooming. Okay, I know a lot of people go, oh, you're, say, you're saying drags are groomers and they're not trying to groom kids for to be involved in sexual you know, uh, behavior. They're just showing them that, that, no, that they're being groomed to believe that what God has called a sin is acceptable. That's grooming. That's what's going on at these events. So Lauren, Lauren Bobert and others are right when they call these individuals groomers, when they call these events grooming events. But you have someone who is outspoken, now engaging in lewd behavior in a public setting thinking she can get away with it because well nobody can see except the person with the camera that filmed them in low light so you know why am i bringing this up why are we having this as a discussion okay big shock a uh, a politi a, a, a conservative politician even is a hypocrite yeah so what we get that we see that all the time 
I understand that. I understand where you're coming from. But here's the issue that I have. I'm going to read you from uh, a, a tweet from Jesse Kelly. He is a um, uh, nationally syndicated talk show host, uh, written a book called The Anti-Communist Manifesto, which I guess came out earlier this year. Uh, very you know, conservative-minded. I see his stuff on Twitter all the time. But when this story started posting all over the internet today, it was comments like his that caught my attention. And, it, you know, this is posted same day when all this is breaking, so clearly connected to the Lauren Boebert uh, discussion. And everybody commenting in, in unison with him is understanding what he's getting at. So it's not something entirely separate. It's related to this uh, to the Miss Boebert and what's going on with her. Heap says, and I quote, Part of the reason the communists have been winning and we've been losing is the communists will never take part in a hit job of one of their own from the right. Let me stop right there. What he's saying is, you know, Democrats, the left, they will not join with a person on the right to attack one of their own. That's what he's getting at. So finishing off, he says, the right will gleefully participate in hit jobs of one of their own from the left just to show their righteousness. End of quote. So what does he say? What he's getting at here is that the you know one and it's a common trope that I've heard from conservative talk show hosts and pundits and those who engage in this kind of rhetoric is when it comes to those on the socio-political left, they are unified in their mission, no matter how far uh, you know somebody in that group goes. So how it doesn't matter. How far to the left, uh, say like Whoopi Goldberg of The View goes, it doesn't matter how far and how wacky her comments and how racist-laden her comments are, and they have been. She's had some slaps on the wrist, but nothing na major. Um, she, she, They will still back her up. They will still take someone like a Nancy Pelosi or uh, who, who said some vile things, or an uh, AOC who has basically attacked her own party right after she got elected and you know basically ignored and, and threatened their own party, uh, holding it to ho hold it hostage if she didn't get what they want. But they stay unified, even though their behavior can get really wildly left. You may have some who are very centrist. You may have some who are kind of smilo you know, solidly left, and then you've got some wackadoodles way out on the left who are, would have basically embraced Hitler as a brother if he wasn't a Nazi, you know? And I mean, it's just how far left they'll go. They will embrace the insanity of trans ideology. They will embrace grooming children if it means they will achieve their goal. So no matter how weird or wacky or insane someone in their camp is, they will not engage in attacking that person and holding them accountable for the things that they've said. However, on the right, that's a different story because those of us on the right are not unified in the same way and in, 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 uh, to accomplish a particular mission. And I would say, argue that his definition, Mr. Kelly's definition of, win, uh, of mission would be political victory at all costs. Um, mm. don't try to take too much of a drink at one time. You will drown on air. That's not fun. So, um, you know, that political victory at all cost, which is what the left does. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying that, you know, we are too worried about being, as he would say, 
righteous to be consumed with political victory. So we have too much infighting. We need to more, be more unified. We need to stop aligning with the left and attacking our own, etc. So this can be encapsulated. I saw it uh, posted on uh, Twitter one day as, and I'm sorry, I'm going to call it Twitter because that's what it is. And Elon can rename it all, whatever he wants. I'm probably going to still say Twitter. Um, as somebody saying, defining it as a no enemies to the right. In other words, you have your political right until the political left. And if they, if you are in the right, in the right side camp, there, you, there's no enemies in the right. I'm not going to attack anybody on the right because they are part of my camp. I'm not going to hold them accountable. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm not going to do anything because we have a mission to accomplish. And so that's really what we're seeing here is that you have no enemies on the right. And if there are no enemies on the right, then we need to be like the left. We need to be unified and we need to quit attacking those within our uh, within our camp. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that's a little more clear what I'm uh, what I'm trying to say here. That's what Jesse Kelly and so many others, if you were to look at his particular tweet, you would see people, one person said, you know, because they recognize this is about Lauren, Lauren Bobert. There was actually one response who says, yes, let's win instead. That's exactly the point. Jesse Kelly and others are so concerned that if we are too busy dealing with people who are not acting in a manner that is consistent with what we claim to believe, um, we're too busy dealing with those individuals and holding them accountable. We're not on mission. We're not on a mission to win. Therefore, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. That's the argument. It's a sociopolitical argument that says that victory is the most important mission, holding people accountable for their hypocrisy against the standards of the of the political right, sociopolitical right. Is it unimportant? It's it's just not important enough. We keep losing. We need to defeat the bad guys first, then worry about, if ever, worry about uh, holding people accountable for their behavior. So that's the that's kind of the story that I want to focus on. Is this idea of no enemies to my right? Uh, is is there really is that really such a thing? I think for the Christian, that's an important question. We have to know. Do we have a standard? Do we have the standard of there are no enemies to my right? Uh, no enemies on the right. Let's just even make it broader instead of to my right. Because every person on the uh, in hearing my voice right now is going to be on a bit of a spectrum in terms of their sociopolitical standing. I'm fairly conservative. I'm fairly to the right. I have friends who are conservative but are maybe in some social areas a little more, more libertarian uh, or might even be a little bit more centrist or start leaning more left. I've known people and get along with them well. But we're all going to be on the spectrum. So instead of saying no, none to my right, because that's a subjective statement, let's just say no enemies to the right. In other words, there's that dividing line. There's that that kind of no man's land where there's very few people who would say they're they're centrist. And there's a you know vast political gulf between the left and the right. So it's no enemies to the right. Anybody on that, uh, um, anybody to the right of that centrist position. So what, why is that important for the Christian? I'm seeing this within, and it's one of the things I've spent a lot of time going through my social media feeds and kind of calling out um, to certain discussions on this uh, in this area because honestly, we we can get pretty cranky and I get tired of seeing nothing but cranky on my news feeds. But 
one of the more recent uh, developments I've seen within Christian political circles is an ad adoption of this no enemies to the right mentality. And it's Christians echoing the same attitude of Jesse Kelly. Um, we take, we're spending too much time uh, worrying about what other people um, in, within our camps believe and how they're acting. We need to be unified and we need to be unified in a Christian political victory. And um, I think that's something as Christians we need to be think, uh, thinking about. Can we really say that? Can we really say there are no enemies on the right? There are no enemies in my own camp. Why? Why, why do we have to ask that question? Well, Scripture is pretty clear about Christian partnerships, what we are to engage in, who are we are to engage in. Uh, when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord does Christ have, or well, excuse me, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, so often we kind of apply this in a marriage setting, right? In other words, don't get married to an unbeliever. Why? Because that unbeliever will have massive impact in the life of a believer. And, you know, you want to see example of that, look at the life of Solomon. King Solomon was greatly impacted by the women he married for political reasons and to the point that he was building them temples and idols for them to worship at. And when you read uh, Ecclesiastes, which is his own laments, uh, of, of, uh, of everything, where he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Part of it is his pursuit of all these pleasures, including the women in his lives, who were not followers of God, who were not followers of Yahweh. And so that dramatic impact in a personal relationship, such as marriage, of that union together is greatly impacted when we when we think of that union between an, a believer and an unbeliever. You are far less likely to positively influence the unbeliever, though it can happen. It is more likely that the unbeliever will influence you. But this is not merely for marriage, though it has great application there. Rather, and as some have taught, there there is a, a partnership like within the business realm that this is talking about as well being unified with those who are not believers in Christ, who are not believers in God, who may even make a profession of faith, but does, but they are not believers at all. And working in partnerships to achieve some goal for the Christian is quite dangerous because it brings us to this point where we are having fellowship with light and darkness. And the scriptures make it clear, there is no fellowship between the two. And furthermore, going back one book, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. When we are engaged in such um, relationships, that their, uh, their attitudes, their beliefs, their practices will impact us, Right? You know, we go if we look at that paragraph in general. What is he saying? Otherwise, what do people in verse twenty nine? What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? 
I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at, uh, F, 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 excuse me, at Ephesus? If the dead are not lay, raised, let us eat and drink, to, uh, uh, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good worlds. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. They were partnering. They were in influenced by the people in uh, in Corinth. They were pro- doing the things that these people are, uh, have been doing. We are supposed to be a people committed to Christ, and we are to wake up from our, uh, uh, our lifestyle of sin and to get away from that and to be a repentant people. Yet, the people in Corinth were not doing this. The, the, the church in Corinth was not doing this. And he's telling them, this bad company, this relationship... And this involvement with people uh, is, you know, and, and this is all in light of the resurrection from the dead. You know, he's, you know, he, we are to be a people who are committed to Christ, right? If we go back to verse, you know, let's just do verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So there's this discussion of being in submission to Christ, that we are a new creation, that we are raised, you know, when Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for, um, excuse me, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who who have fallen asleep, um, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. And he's saying, for, going to verse 25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he, it, excuse me, it is plain that he is accepted who put things all, uh, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So here's this discussion of the resurrection. And we, you know, we're talking about how we are raised from the dead and we are brought up to Christ. And then he's like, you need to be concerned about this. This is something you're to be in submission to and you are to... Be separate from the world. Do not be part of the world where you know you are still in your sins. You are supposed to be dead to your sins and risen into Christ, and you will be raised with Him on the last day. But you are in subjection to the world. You're, you you need to wake up from this drunken stupor and stop sinning. With this association with the world, one of the big problems for the uh, you know for the Corinthian church, and. Um, it, there was a day of that resurrection coming, and that was to be their commitment, not to be in this life of sin where they continue to be part of the world and its uh, connection with them. Um, so here you have Paul writing to the, to the Corinthians in two separate letters, all, getting on them about their compromise with the world. Compromise for their personal gain, really. 
um, being able to gain something from this, be it, be it some sort of relationship benefit, um, you know, be it marriage or partnership, or the ability to continue to claim to be a follower of Christ, yet still engage in the affections of the flesh, right? There is this condemnation of that that association of that partnership by Paul writing in the Holy Spirit to the people in Corinth. How does that translate to our socio-political associations? Now this is where it can get a little bit tricky. We live in a world and we live in a culture that is filled with unbelievers. We recognize this. We are in a system by which we elect leaders political figures to office to represent us and to make decisions on our behalf. When it comes time to make a choice to pull the lever, so to speak, or punch the button or tap the screen for your candidate, you're voting for the candidates that are available. All right. Some places will allow you for write-in votes and such, um, but ultimately your, your choices are limited as to who's actually running. You're not always going to have the best choice right? You may have the, uh, you know, the proverbial two evils. And so you go, well, which one is less and which one comes at least somewhat close to what I believe should be uh, represented in the political climate in which we uh, live and work. Now, as a Christian, how do I approach that? How do I, is voting for someone who is just a vile individual, but has good practice in their political polity, can I vote for that person? Or they're a vile person, am I in partnership with them? Now, I don't believe what we read in 1st and 2nd Corinthians has a direct tie in the same way, so for example, a marriage or a business partnership would, but I think the principle still has, has application. Meaning that when I go into the voting booth, I have to make a choice on a person I believe most closely represents what scripture tells me about how this world should function. So when I have two very questionable characters for a vote, neither of them are choices that have any connection to scripture. They, they in fact, are both uh, individuals that in every way, shape, and form, defy scripture. I have, a, you know, I, I have a um, ability to say I cannot vote for these two individuals because both of them promote sin. So let's just say that you're in a in a district that you have two very outspoken leftist politicians who believe in abortion, who believe in. Uh, large government who believe that children should be exposed to trans ideology, that, uh, you know, promotion of uh, sexual immorality is a must. And, and these are your choices. Are, are you are you telling me, Chris, that I have to vote for one of those two? No, I would say to vote for either of them would be a partnership that we could not get into because both of them are openly defying scripture. Okay, so now we get into a position of, well, one person, let's go back to the uh, 20... Uh, 2020 election, one person openly states trans ideology is the civil rights issue of our time. I'm going to expand abortion access. I'm going to make sure a law is passed to uh, to, to uh, you know make abortion 
uh, legal in all 50 states federally. I'm going to do all of these things. And then you've got another person, in, uh, in that first person, of course, was Joe Biden. And then in the second case, you've got Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a laundry list of, pol- of seriously questionable character issues and uh, has a history of sinful behavior. Yet, during his, 20, uh, his four years in office, he put you know, uh, Supreme Court justices in place that actually eventually overturned Roe v. Wade, who fought to protect religious liberty, who you know, fought to you know, uh, reverse many of the things done under the Obama administration that expanded the, the sexually immoral uh, celebration that we were going on. So you have those, your choices. You have one who's a vile person, not only in his behavior, but also in his policy. But you have another person who's a sinful person who has very uh, you know, um, questionable character issues, but has at least advanced policy that comes at somewhat in line with Scripture. So now you can go, look, when it comes to making a, a vote, I can look at Scripture and say who aligns most, uh, most according to Scripture and pull the lever by your God-informed conscience through Scripture for who you believe is the best choice. Now, where your conscience is impacted by Scripture, when you look, say, at a Donald Trump type of person, you look, and there are people who did this, who said, this man, even though he did some good things, I am greatly impacted by how he lives, how he speaks, and these these." issues of sin that he himself will never be repented of, etc., then I believe there is a connection there where you have to say, I cannot be in partnership. That's that's a choice you have to make. Some of us are going to have different conscience levels. This is I'm not going to give a hard and fast rule here on that, but you're going to have to approach that vote with, do you believe you're in partnership or do you believe you're applying biblical understanding to the voting process and therefore the person who has serious issues morally yet advances policy that at least aligns with scripture in some way, I can vote for that. Okay, then you do that. If you believe you cannot, then you don't. That's one area. Another area is, so when we're, that's the, that's the voting booth. That's one area. Another is when, so, okay, going back to Lauren Borbert. She's said and done some questionable things. People who are in her district, who are Christians, have to decide at the next election, is her behavior so egregious, so sinful, so hypocritical that it taints what she will do and makes it to where you're not sure she can fulfill those obligations? Or do you go... There's a problem with her, but her policy and, and her thing and her voting record indicate that she at least attempts to do things that align with scripture, so therefore are a vote. So that's one area. Another area is this direct partnership where we are engaging in partnering with individuals to achieve a certain goal. And this is where Jesse Kelly's comment comes back into play. See, as Christians, when we say Here's Loma Brobert, or here's Donald Trump, or here's this politician or that politician. And right now we're we're seeing a a behavior that is not just questionable, but openly sinful, right? Engaged in 
an adulterous affair, engage in lewd and lascivious behavior actively. It's happening. And attempting to diminish or minimize that person's participation in that act, as Miss Bulbear is doing. Kind of just not acknowledging that she was even engaged. I mean, I was looking at articles earlier. I have not seen anything that says that she admits that she did these things in the theater. She kind of, you know, makes a comment about vaping, which she claims she didn't do, but she didn't handle things well, and she, you know, her value, she, she, she failed her values, and she's going to have to win back the trust of her electorate, right? So, you have an active issue, not something that's a history of, but an active issue in which this person is not acting in accord with Scripture. A person who says, I am a Christian, I uphold Christian values, but I am engaging in behavior that is openly sinful. What do we do with that? How do we approach that? Well, I think we have to think about what does Scripture say about that partnership? When Jesse Kelly says, we need to stop gleefully joining with the left in character assassinations and hit jobs, what he's saying is, ignore what she did. The participation in, in this political, socio-political battle is too important. I don't believe that's something a Christian can do. Why? Well, what did uh, Jesus tell us about such things? He told us, going back to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, lay, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is where your, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the body of the lamp, a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For he will hate, uh, he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to, one, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, obviously, in this particular passage, Jesus is talking about wealth and riches. He's talking about laying up heavenly treasure as opposed to what we would define as earthly treasure, but it's something of gain. And I think the, the principle can be applied here. For Christians, living in a culture where we have the ability to impact the outcome of our nation and culture for the future through elections, if our goal is victory, which is what it is for a person like Jesse Kelly, then your love for the goal of political victory is going to trump, forgive the term, your love for God, right? Now, I know there are people who say, well, because we are Christian nationalists or because we're theonomists or we're post-millennials, we see political victory as a part of the Great Commission. Therefore, we must be involved in these things. I get that. That's not what I'm driving at. That's a topic for another time. I'm not even sure I want to get into, but I'm talking about what is the goal here? The goal for someone like Jesse Kelly is political victory. That's the most important thing. And what happens? A willingness to ignore rank hypocrisy and sinful behavior in their midst. 
In other words, stop talking about what Lauren Bobert did, even though it was wrong, even though it was sinful, even though it was in a public place, even though everybody can see it, because now it's all over the news, stop talking about it, because victory is more important. What does he show his love for? His love for, is for the victory, political victory. It is not for that which honors God. For the Christian, we have to be concerned about that which honors God. We must be a truth people. We must be a biblical people. We must be driven by our love for the word of God and his truth that when we see someone in sin, what are we called to do? We are called to tell those people to repent of their sin. If a person is a professing brother or sister in Christ and they are doing that which is openly sinful, we are called to tell that person to repent. We are to go to them and say, "You, what you are doing is wrong. It is an offense to God. You cannot be engaged in this. You cannot be participating in this. You need to stop this. At the same time, when that, that exact same person is promoting policy and ideology that then is revealed to be not at their heart. So we need to get rid of grooming, we need to get rid of this sexually immoral behavior in the public, etc., and then turns around and engages in it, what does that say about the person who's taken such a, a low view of the vows that they made before God to honor their marriage, to honor God in their marriage, and then to have this publicly messy divorce, and before it's even finalized, which is I would argue is probably not even a legitimate divorce at this point, but before that's even finalized, you're engaged in sinful behavior in public. I don't care that the lights were turned down. Clearly, you didn't care about that. You were willing to do it with people all around you, right? And again, I'm not trying to make this about her. I'm just using this particular issue as an uh, example because that's the one that's being kind of talked about right now. When persons like Jesse Kelly and other individuals say that the political victory is more important than the individual sins of the people within the group, what they're saying is we don't want to hold people accountable for their behavior because we need them to achieve political victory. Now, recently, I think it was a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that one of the things that I saw happening within Christian circles and one of the reasons I kind of got out of the, the discussions of Christian nationalism and other stuff was that I saw behavior within Christian groups, you know, you know, soundly professing Christian groups who were doing this kind of thing, who were not willing to hold accountable persons within our own Christian camp accountable for the things they were saying and promoting because the goal of victory, this Christian victory in the political and cultural sphere had a higher importance. It was more important to do that than to start telling people, for example, lay off the language that borders on racist. Lay off the language that is, uh, you know, basically demeaning of women or lay off the language and behavior that is basically mocking and deriding anybody who disagrees with you. I saw a lot of that. Now, I'm not saying it was only within the Christian nationalist circles. I saw that similar behavior on people who were not in favor of Christian nationalism. And for Christians, we should all be holding each other accountable for our behavior when we step out of the bounds of Scripture. So if you see someone with harsh, condemnatory, mocking language for someone that just absolutely did not have deserve that, 
we should, as Christians, be willing to pull our brothers and sisters aside and say, stop doing that. That's sinful. You are not acting in accordance with Scripture. But there, I saw this within uh, Christian circles where people were having these discussions and defending or attempting to reframe the argument so it didn't sound so bad. Why? Because they didn't want to hold people in within their own camp at least from my perspective, accountable because their motivation was this socio-political victory in the name of Christ. That is not what we are called to. We are called to be people of Christ. We are called to be people of the Word. We are called first and foremost to be people who seek to honor and glorify God, to be humbled before Him. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. To be humbled before Him and to serve Him as dutiful servants Basically, be a, a, a humble servitude, a willingness to live a life, no matter what our outcome is in that socio-political arena, live our lives in such a way that we reflect the truth of Jesus Christ to those around us. So, as we speak about Jesus Christ, what we say reflects what is reflected by what we do. And so, if we are unwilling to hold accountable someone within our midst who acts in a sinful manner, then what are we what are we worried about winning? The problem becomes is is victory, and this is the, you know where I kind of want to wrap this up. Is victory more important than honoring God? Can we honor God in victory or in loss? Absolutely. You know the scriptures speak to people across the cultures around the world at various times and places. The scriptures are not merely. Uh, in, uh, something we go by in order to achieve a, a conservative socio-political victory. Rather, the scriptures are what inform us no matter where we are, no matter how free we are or how oppressed we are, inform us on how we're to live and to act. That's my point. So when we're talking about, excuse me there, talking about people like a Lauren Bobert or a Donald Trump or somebody else, whose behavior is not consistent with the word. And we go, ignore that. It doesn't matter. You know, as this one person said, yes, let's win instead. What are we saying? That the person's, that the, the group's sociopolitical victory is more important than someone who's now in rank sin before God? That we would rather this person live in a sinful state with no correction, with no rebuke, with no call to repentance. Because if we take time to do that, then we're attacking them and we're not worried about the end result. Are we willing to forego that which is an abomination before the Lord in order to achieve a victory? Are we more concerned about the broader victory that we might maintain for a particular uh, period of time? You know, we, we had Donald Trump for four years. Now we have Joe Biden. Are we more concerned about the four years we got under Donald Trump than we are about Donald Trump's soul, for example? It, if Donald Trump openly sinned, like he just, you know, he got caught in a rank uh, sin like uh, you know, uh, you know uh, adultery, say, as, as we're dealing with with Miss Bobert. Are we willing to say it doesn't matter? 
it doesn't matter what he did as long as we win politically. He's on the right side politically, so we're going to ignore his rank sin. Is that, is that necessary? Do we have to do that? I would argue absolutely not. In fact, I think the opposite is true. I think when we see something like that happen, we as Christians have to go, I am concerned about this person's soul. I am concerned about this person's profession of faith. I am concerned that this person, absent repentance, reconciliation with God, and, uh, and who continues to live in this fashion, will go further and further and further down the road of sin. And one day, their usefulness now, they will not be useful to us later. Now, that's not why we do it, but we can see the effect. The longer a person stays in their sin, the more seared their conscience becomes, the less they will come, uh, come to do anything that uh, resembles what the scriptures call us to do. And if I have so little love for the person who is living in such a sinful manner that I'm not willing to hold them accountable, I am willing to watch them go down that path of sin further and further down the road because I need them in that place of political victory or socio-political victory. Then I don't love them and I don't love God. I love the victory. That's my new idol. That's my mammon. That's what I'm pursuing after. Like I said, there's a point when Ms. Bobert goes into election cycle. People uh, who are in her district are going to have to decide whether they want her there or not. But this idea of there are no enemies on the right. This idea that we just can't hold them accountable. How dare you mention what they did. What it reveals is that you have a partiality. A partiality toward a particular group and a partiality toward not offending the right people. Well, James tells us something about that, doesn't he? You know, he tells us in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, he had just you know, framed this in the discussion of those coming into the church. You have the poor man who's made to sit in the corner or uh, you know, stand in the corner or sit by your feet. Get out of the way nobody can, so nobody can see you. But you give the, uh, the man, a wealthy man the prominent seat so everybody who can see him. And, and see, you know, he, he has this place where everybody makes him feel honored. But it's this partiality of, of, of treating someone different why? Why is that a big deal? The rich man, he can do something for you. He can benefit you. He can benefit your church. The poor man who has nothing, get out of the way, man. This guy's important. We need him here. You aren't that important. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to treat the rich man and the poor man in the same way. Why? Because the rich man needs to be held accountable. The rich man needs to be known to his riches or whatnot, not what defines him, but rather it's Christ and his relationship or his lack of relationship with Christ that defines him. The poor man has nothing and can offer nothing, but he is just as honored, uh, to, you know, as a, uh, should be honored as a brother in Christ as if he were rich. He should be treated with care and love and respect. 
The rich man shouldn't be the only one getting any notice. In fact, the rich man should be made to understand his riches don't, uh, don't gain him anything before God. But when we are not willing to hold people on our sociopolitical spectrum accountable for their open and gross sins, and we say we need them because they're politically important, we are showing them partiality in the same way as if we treat the rich man as he's just too important. We can't ignore him in the church. We've got to give him the best seat. We've got to let him know how much we need him, how much we appreciate him, how much we could be benefited by him. If you are unwilling to hold those in your own sociopolitical spectrum accountable for their sins, you are doing the same thing. So we need to understand that when we are interacting with these issues in this broader sphere, this socio-political spectrum, the idea of there are no enemies to the right just doesn't hold water because it leads us down a path of partiality. It leads us down a path of uh, split allegiances between God and the world. It leads us down a path of letting people live in an unrepentant lifestyle of sin because they're poli they're politically advantageous to us the issue of the socio-political right once upon a time was that it upheld something it upheld something important it upheld values it upheld smaller government it upheld you know less taxes it, it promoted the family it stood opposed to sexual immorality and the conditioning of children in in that way it upheld the 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 good what was good for the nation. Today, it, it stood against the murder of children in the womb. Today, we are in the socio political sphere, linking arms with anybody who will vote for our people. You have people like Bruce Jenner, for example, and I'm still going to call him Bruce because he's not Caitlyn who is being adopted by people like Fox News and the political right. Why? Because he stands against the left, except that Jenner was one of the people who helped this transgender craze insanity blossom because he did everything in front of the world to see and demanded to be accepted. But we partner with him today. We partner with groups like Gays Against Groomers who say we want to be celebrated as homosexual because we want to be recognized for being homosexual. We want to have the benefits of, of being that in the public without any judgment. But we want to get be against grooming, except that they were the ones that helped set the stage for that. Because they were the ones who said, you have to accept our sexual deviancy as a legitimate lifestyle. It has to be acknowledged and celebrated. They benefited from that, and now others are adopting their platform, and they're angry about it. And so we partner with them. Why? Why are we making these, these compromises? Because socio-political victory means too much to us. It is that golden idol that we are trying to reach out to, to achieve something, to re receive something. 
And so we make compromises where we don't want to hold people accountable for their actions because, okay, well, Lauren Barbera and her new boyfriend did something that was, well, yeah, it's kind of gross, but they shouldn't have done it, and they probably shouldn't have done it, but it's not a big deal. And there's the, the, there's the, the, the drag queen hours in the, in the libraries, and the kids are being groomed to trans. How dare you be upset about this? Okay, let me ask a question. Where did what's going on right now start? Where was the first step on the road of deviancy to where we are today? See, if anybody's ever done any kind of land navigation with a map and a compass, they'll tell you that you'll, you'll hear something. If you take one step, one degree off the direction you're trying to go. So for example, if you're trying to go due north and you're one degree off, one step, two steps, three steps, doesn't seem like you're very far off. A thousand steps, 3,000 steps, 5,000 steps, a mile, five miles. The further you go, the, that one degree takes you, the further off the mark you get. If you don't stay dead center on you know, due north, you'll end up way far away from where your intended destination is. What was the first step in that direction? Well, I would argue one of those first steps was maybe no-fault divorce. The devaluing of marriage. Maybe it was, instead of calling adultery, adultery, we called it an affair. Maybe instead of calling it fornication, we just called it making love. Do you see my point? Somewhere way down the road backwards in history. We took the first steps off the path. Today, we have this massive wash of sexually immoral depravity going on in our culture. And people like Jesse Kelly would tell you, stop worrying about Lauren Bobert and what she did. That's not important. This other stuff is. Well, what Lauren Bobert did is how we got where we are now. And not worrying about what she did is how we got where we are right now. If the movement doesn't have a definable set of moral standards and we don't live according to those moral standards, then we don't have a movement. We just have a bunch of people who don't like the other side. And that's the problem. The idea of no enemies to the right says that the moral standards don't matter. We give lip service to it. We say we don't want babies murdered in the womb. We say we don't want the profaning of marriage. We say we don't want pride parades and drag, scene court, drag queen story hours and um, transing of kids. But we don't hold people within our own community accountable for doing the very things that lead to that. When it comes to the issue of no enemies to the right, it is a horrible, in my opinion, horrible, horrible system by which to have a socio-political movement because you have no standards. If you have no standards, then you have no movement. You're just, all you're asking for is everybody to vote for who you think is 
the right person and you but you can't even define what makes them the right person because you don't want to hold them accountable. They just vote for the things that you like. Now, to my friends who will say, well, if you don't, you know, if, you, if this is where you want to go, you might as well just let the pagans run everything and you just want, uh, you want drag, screen, drag Queen Story Hour because you won't, you know, tell people that, you know, to stop fighting on the inside and, and to win the victory first. No, I'm saying that before we can try to win a victory, we should have a definable set of standards and then move in accordance with that definable set of standards, meaning we even hold each other accountable. Here's the problem with the no, uh, one major problem as I'm wrapping things up here. One major problem with the no enemy to the no enemies to the right ideology. Do you know why the left has no enemies to the left? Because the left has no definable standards. None. Everything that's scripture, I'm holding my Bible here in my hands. Everything that's scripture, this in this, all these pages, you can hear it, right? All these pages have on the left, that is, if it says the Bible says don't do it, that's our standard. To oppose God at every turn and to elevate man at every that's their only standard. And we want to take their socio-political ideology and apply it to the right. Christians, we can't do that. God defines our social interaction. God defines our moral standards. God defines everything about us, and he does it according to Scripture. And he tells us, he demands of us to hold one another accountable to Scripture, to hold one another accountable to the sins that we commit, and calling one another to repentance and to reconciliation with Christ. And when we fail to do so, up to the point of even excommunication from the church, that's serious. If we don't have a standard by which to live and hold one another accountable, we have no right to call ourselves Christians. But we do. We have the scriptures. That defines everything about us. And Christians cannot take this kind of sociopolitical rhetoric and adopt it. We have to be a truth people. We have to stand by what is true and what is right. And we have to hold those within our midst accountable for their actions. And Lauren Bobert is a professing Christian. Donald Trump is a professing Christian. A lot of political people uh, on the right are professed Christians or religious people. And they want our votes. So it is incumbent upon us to say, no, we cannot do that. We have to honor God first. So while we are having these kind of discussions, this is what's going on right now. This is what she did. This is now public. And so when people say, well, stop worrying about it, we have to say, no, we have to worry about it. Because I worry for her soul and I worry for what will happen if she continues on this path without correction and reconciliation to Christ. And I cannot support and ignore open and gross sin before the Lord. And I cannot ignore and support that which was the first step to what, how we got where we are today. I have to hold that accountable. And so do you. And if you won't do it, then I can't support you. I believe that's necessary. Now, like I said... I can't give you as a hard and fast rule to how far you know each individual case should be taken. 
Um, it's a little bit different when we're talking about, okay, Miss Bobert's in the middle of a divorce. Should she be then voted for? Because you know, and by the way, that's an, if those of you going, well, women shouldn't be in politics or whatever. And that was a discussion that's what recently been on the internet. Yes, I saw that too. Um, just putting that aside for a minute. Well, she's going through a divorce, so we can't vote for. Her. Is that what I'm saying? No. Oh, she she got her taxes wrong, and she you know she, maybe she lied. So we've got to we've got to hold her accountable, right? I'm not saying that every little error, sin failure is something we now question whether or not we you know can be partnered with them because all of us will fail i'm not saying that there are, that we need to have every candidate that we vote for be a perfect saint who never sins or never does anything wrong i think there every christian and this is going to get me in trouble with some of my friends i've said this before when you get into this socio-political spectrum when you're involved in the political process, and you're casting your votes. What do I expect every Christian to do? I expect every Christian should be reading their Bible, should be praying, should be informed by the scriptures and everything that they think, say, and do, and that includes who they vote for. And so when you go into the voting booth on the, in, in the next election, you should vote according to your God-informed conscience. You know that why that gets me in trouble? Because when I say that, people who say, no enemy to the right, get mad because I might I might be equipping you, the listener, to vote for somebody other than they think might win and might get, have the political victory they want. You might vote for somebody they don't like and take away from votes. You know, or I shouldn't say won't vote. you'll vote for somebody they won't like. I, I think, better phrase, they will, you will vote for somebody they don't believe will win and therefore take away votes from the person they think should win. And so then I'm equipping you to just vote for anybody that you know, even people who have no chance to win, and that and that's just a wasted vote. That's that's what gets me in trouble. I don't care. You know that I don't care if that gets me in trouble. You vote for the person you believe will most honor God. And if part of your consideration is, and I think it's a valid consideration, is when it gets down to it, there's two people on, on the ballot. Even though there's a bunch of them that'll be there, none of them will get any votes that will bring them to victory. We know that and, and believe that, so therefore we won't. We won't consider that way. I think that's a valid consideration. I think you have to be at least somewhat realistic that this guy who was a uh, on the uh, on the party that nobody even knew existed until it showed up on the ballot, and that's the person you want to vote for. Look, if you want to vote for him, vote for him. But I think it's a valid consideration to say the dude's never going to win. So I, I vote for by your God-informed conscience, which can also include of those who have a chance to win. Who should I vote for? I think that's a valid consideration. So with that in mind, you vote that way. But as we are in this period where we are looking at the behavior of people who are our representatives, people that we want to be our representatives, as we look to people who are being a voice in the public square, and they begin to say and do things that are questionable. They begin to say and do things that are sinful. They begin to say and do things that are not in alignment with the scriptures. And in fact, may well lead them on a path in opposition to the scriptures. Should we be concerned? Absolutely. And as we have these conversations with one another as Christians, we need to show grace. 
We need to show love toward one another, and we need to believe, be willing to be enter into discussions where we have we're going to hear opposing viewpoints, and we may or may not agree with, and be willing to say, "You're my brother in Christ. I just don't agree with you on this issue." Uh, I can't, you know, do for example, no enemy to the right, but I'm going to affirm you as my brother or sister in Christ. We need to have those discussions. But I think you and me and every Christian has to sit down and say, what is the thing I am most concerned about? And I believe the thing I must most be concerned about is the Word of God and honoring Him in all that I think, say, and do. And if it means that I cannot partner in such a way that I, you know, where I just ignore obvious, gross, and lewd sins so that I can attack the left and own the left on their issues, then so be it. I'm sorry, Jesse Kelly. I'm sorry, political rhetoricians, talk show hosts, and, and pundits. I think what Lauren Bobert did was sinful, and we should say so. And I think we should pray for her. And we should be, you know, if, if you're somebody who has her ear, you should call her to repentance. And I think if we want to be a people who want to uphold that which is right and good in the, in the public square, then our behavior needs to reflect that. And if that means I have to publicly repudiate the behavior of someone I think is politically advantageous to me, then I'm going to do so. Because I think that's what the scriptures call me to do. I am not to show partiality. I am not to partner with darkness. I am not to serve two, two gods. I am to serve one God in him alone. And if I cannot win politically because I'm willing to do that, or I'm, not, I'm unwilling to make that compromise, if I can't win politically, then I can't win politically. Because God's word applies to me in no matter what political, social sphere in which I live. Oh, you just want your kids to be taught by pagans and you want drag queen, drag queen story hour. Look, if you want to believe that, that's up to you. My conscience before the Lord is clear. I didn't record this so that people would bow to my knowledge or wisdom or anything else. In fact, I think most people will probably find it a, a bit frustrating. But I recorded it because I watched what's happening on there. And I was trying to make a decision tonight and I just kept seeing this pop up. I recorded it because I believe it is a anti-biblical, fallacious perspective to say that there are no enemies on the right. I think it compromises our walk with Christ. And it makes political victory our new idol. I think we should want to win. I think we should do everything we can to win. Up until the point that we're still able to honor God. When you ask me to step off the path that says I cannot honor God, uh, honor God by holding someone accountable for their open sin, I can't do that. I just can't. And I would ask you to consider that perspective. Can you look at someone 
who's in open sin, who's advocating for sinful things, whose language and behavior is inconsistent with Scripture, and say it just doesn't matter. That's a choice you got to make. So I hope this episode's been useful to you. In fact, I went a little longer than I thought I would even be able to. Um, so I hope it's useful. I hope it causes you to think. Even if you don't agree with me, at least think about what I'm saying in this. Um, everybody's going to fall slightly differently on where those lines are. I don't think there's a clear-cut set of lines I can give you that says, well, if they've done this many sins, you can't support them. Or if you're if they're doing this or that, you know, you're going to have to look to Scripture and you're going to have to be informed by your God-informed conscience and you're going to have to make decisions as to where that line is. I, mean, I, I think there might there are going to be some. Like, for example, I'm sorry, you cannot vote Democrat if you're a Christian because the Democratic Party is the party of infant murder, transient of children, and sexual immorality on a scale we've never seen in this nation. You can't do that. I'm sorry. That's a line that I say is very clear. <laughs> within our own parties, within our own politics, I think there are, those lines are going to shift a little bit. And nothing says that Lauren Bobert can't repent of her uh, her sins and you know pr- you know publicly acknowledge she was wrong and and be able to be elected on the next election. I mean, that's certainly possible. I pray that's the case. I'm not a person who believes, oh, well, if you vote for this person, your Christian witness is te- te- uh, destroyed, which was what the never Trump people did. You know, you're destroying your Christian witness if you vote for Trump. And, I mean, they're still saying that. You know, it pops up in discussions that had nothing to do with him. <laughs> see it all the time. So I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me say something I'm not saying. But what I am saying is there are enemies within our own camp, socio-political camps. There may be enemies within our own professing Christian camp. Don't be so blind, so blinded by victory that you miss that. I think that's a foolish position. So, Again, hope this was helpful. Hope it blesses you. Uh, really appreciate your time. Again, please pray, pray for Rich and his family. Uh, they just they face so much at times, and uh, he's he's been such a wonderful brother and such a great support for me, and really far too valuable to this show for me to be doing these by myself without him. Um, I pray that he will get better, get the rest he needs, and he'll be back here shortly. Let's just pray that that continues. All right, folks, thank you for spending time with me this week. Greatly appreciate all your support. Again, if you want to reach out to us and have uh, questions, comments, suggestions for the show, you can even email us directly. Who uses email anymore? Uh, Voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com or go to slavetothekingcom Reach out to us through the Contact Us link. If you want to support the program in some way, by all means, go to slavetothekingcom and you will find the necessary information for you there. God bless you guys. Good night, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.